0: Have you ever been called a band geek, a theater nerd, cyber dork, studio rat, gamer punk, orchestra dork, book monkey, drama jock, poindexter, artsy fartsy, or just plain weird? Well then, welcome to Art Nerds. This is the podcast where we sit down with our nerdy friends, embrace our inner geek, and celebrate our art. And welcome back my friends. This is Art Nerds. This is the place where we talk to our nerdy friends about their artwork. My name is Michael O'Brien. and today, uh with me via the internet, I have a young lady named Katherine Patricia Cobbler. How are you, my friend?
1: I'm doing well. How are you, Mike?
0: I'm doing quite well today. Doing quite well. I've been anxious to talk to you about your uh about your artwork ever since we met uh my, my friend Carmen Lasheski Custer uh recommended you. And talks very highly of you, and I've been listening to your stuff on your website. So, uh, Catherine, what is your art?
1: Ah, thanks so much, Mike. Uh, so I often, when I meet people, and and you know whether that's at a a friend's party or if I'm at a concert, I'll often introduce myself as a loop pedal violist, uh, and basically the reason why I really kind of categorize myself that way is that it, it takes up a big part of my practice. So I use what's called a loop pedal and it's a device that kind of acts like a recording device, if you will. So I have a few pedals on it. And so once I press one pedal, as I play, it starts recording. And then when I press it again, it it starts to record that loop over and over. And so a big part of my performing journey and my journey as a composer has involved using solo viola and loop pedal. So that's why it's often um, in my introduction when I introduce myself to people.
0: Is using the loop pedal as a, you said you're a violinist or violist? Violist. Yes. Violist. Okay. There is a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, as, but using the loop pedal as a violist, um, is that unusual? is uh well in
1: terms of unusual i would say in canada i can count on one hand how many there are of us my hope (laughs) so i so i guess you can kind of get a sense of it is very much a, a niche thing uh but i would say my hope is that it continues to grow in exploration. And that's kind of when I think about my my vocation as a composer. So I am a composer and I've recorded a lot of EPs, short EPs for solo, viola, and loop pedal. I've also started to produce some sheet music. And so my hope is that it becomes an area of exploration, not just for violists, but for bowed string players in general. I think that it's very common among guitarists uh, but for bowed string instruments, it is it is a little bit of uncharted territory, if you will. Something that I really enjoy about it is that I feel like it's it's led, that the loop pedal itself is really the thing that has infused my, my life as a composer and my life as an improviser as well.
0: Interesting. How did you come about loop pedal or what what led you to start using it? Let me start there.
1: Oh, that is a good question. And this actually is a story that I don't tell very often. But here we go. So I so I used to work for a social music program and such an amazing program teaching kids in underserved communities. And a friend of mine who is a, a violinist and a violist too, we used looper and she used to tour with the band. So she would used it quite often. And I was kind of in a bit of a rut in my artistic practice. I was classically trained. Hmm. And I had done the orchestra thing. I'd done a bit of Stuff, But I really was kind of not sure where to go next. I think I was kind of feeling the, I don't know, the fatigue of going from gig to gig to gig. And I mean, amazing gigs, and I was happy to have them. But I think I was, I was lacking in and feeling my artistic voice, if you will. So I was kind of in a, a place where I was ready for something new and then you know it was just during a staff meeting where she was like hey like i have this old loop pedal i don't know like i don't like it still works like do you know anyone who would be interested in it and i was like well uh, sure like i would love to try it out and so it literally was just kind of on a whim um something that i don't recommend doing per se but because i was really just in a, a space where i really wanted to try something new i thought you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna dive into this and i actually booked a gig for myself before I even knew how to use it. Which <laughs> in hindsight <laughs> isn't like is was that, you know, the best thing to do. It was like a low key it was for Canada Day and it was going to be mostly background music where people could stop and listen, but I thought, you know what, that's a safe space for me to be able to try this uh, out.
0: Right. Sounds Uh, low pressure enough to... Yeah. But nothing motivates like an audience. Yeah,
1: no kidding. (laughs) Or a deadline. Yeah, and you know what? It is... I mean, sometimes I I think in hindsight, should I have done that? But you know what? It really forced me to get comfortable with it. And leading up, because I only had a month, to be honest, before the gig. So I was using the loop pedal two to three hours a day, just trying to, you know, because I was making arrangements of of Canadian folk music and I was using the looper. So I was both arranging and learning how to play with it, okay? And so... uh, Yeah. So it really helped me to just kind of dive in feet first.
0: Yeah. Nothing. uh, I'm going to say one month masterclass in it, self-taught masterclass is what it sounds like.
1: Yeah, it definitely was.
0: So how was the gig? How was Canada Day then? With the looper for the first time?
1: You know what? I think it felt strange because it was new, but there was something at the same time that just felt really energizing about it. Uh, when I think about ensemble playing and the type of ensemble playing I really enjoy, I mean, I, I think in terms of orchestra, there are some orchestral works that I, I love and would love to play again. But chamber music is really where my heart is. I feel like it's just such an okay. intimate art form. And I find loop pedal is like the closest thing to doing that on your own because you're you're basically turning yourself into a string quartet. And so I very much enjoyed exploring with the different layers of sound. And when I use the looper, I actually do treat it that way. I treat each new voice as its own entity and and try to interact with it as I hear it in real time.
0: That sounds fascinating. I mean, in terms of process, listening to what you've just done, and part of the looper is that it will repeat. Exactly, yeah. Whatever you've played until you tell it to stop. I'm assuming.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: But listening to yourself and knowing that initial, how you call it, voice, and then reacting to your own voice. I mean, you know what's there. You know what's coming. But then forcing yourself or, I don't know, maybe not forcing yourself to interact in a different um, voice, I think is the best word to put it. It sounds fascinating. It sounds hard.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, when you think about it, when we we train as musicians, we're always looking at taking on different characters, you know, like what is the music showing us? And I often find that even if it's the same kind of theme, that trying to give each musical voice its own character, if that makes sense. So it's just kind of, yeah. And so I find it's the same tools that we use when we're playing, you know, one voice that's part of a larger ensemble or if we're doing a solo work, but it's just kind of, I find it a bit more multifaceted, if you will
0: yeah no i I come from the world of theater, oh right, I yeah. teach theater, yeah, so I teach theater and you know acting, directing all that stuff, so when you use the terms voices and improv and the character work, it rings very, very true to me, so suddenly it doesn't sound so hard and it's in the sense that you know, yes, I can play one character, but playing a different character off of myself might be fun mhm,
1: mm-hmm. I find that it um it really, it, it's, I find that that it inspires play, if that makes sense. And as a classically trained musician, I find that really life-giving. Oftentimes, particularly when I was finishing up my master's degree, there was a lot of emphasis on, you know, you you want to have musical and artistic t- integrity, and you want to play exactly what's mm-hmm. on the page, and you want to honor the, the original voice of that composer, while also bringing in your own artistry. But there is a high technical um, approach to that type of playing. Uh, with the looper, I hope to bring that, the same type of virtuosity, but I feel like because you are responding in, re- in real time, there is something that's a bit more live to it. And I find that it's, it's just been a really freeing part of my practice as a musician.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I can, I can, um, in the sense that in my, in my field, I, I make a distinction. I don't know if this is true or not. This is strictly me. I make a distinction between an actor and a performer, Ah. an actor being a person who takes somebody else's work, somebody else's lines, somebody else's intentions, and does their best to bring it to life via their own instrument, their body, their voice, their own personality, their own experiences. Um, But a performer is freed in a sense that they're not working with somebody else's original work, Mm. unless it's their own. Does that make sense? Like a best, like Robin Williams was an actor. He could turn, you know, he could use somebody else's words and make a beautiful character. But then he could turn around and then be on the stage by himself, making it up as he goes as a performer, and be equally successful. Uh, so that's what it sounds like to me. Then your process is that you get to be both in this kind of process. I mean, there's a technical virtuosity versus just an, improvis- an improvisational. You said, yeah. Right? Uh, I'm, I'm just like I said. I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. But it's it sounds magnificent. The process sounds fantastic.
1: Oh, thank you. And so a big part of my practice is live improvisation. I find when I get to do that with, whether it's by myself or with colleagues, I find that, that it's just such a it's both intimate, but it's also something that's very energizing. If I were to mm-hmm. compare improvisation to a pre-composed work, a pre-composed work is, is almost like you say it's that actor side of things. You know, you, you already right. know what you're going to, to say before you step on stage. Whereas when you're, when you're improvising, it's more, more or less like it's a, a conversation with a friend. You know, someone sure. says something, someone responds, and you kind of feed off each other as you you go through the conversation. And it's almost like it's almost like what we're doing here, you and I, you know, we're, we're chatting right. and we're talking and we're feeding off of one another. But at the end of the day, we know that, you know, as as, as it being a podcast, that there are people who are going to be witness to this conversation. And so I find it uh, very conversational improvisation.
0: That's interesting, uh, finding the audience with it as well. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of your music and, cause like I said, I was listening to some of it earlier. Uh, and s- since we set this up, I've been listening to it off and on. Um, but I love the idea of the improvisation. Uh, do you prefer improvisational work over, uh, say like strict orchestral stuff or chamber work? Do you have a preference? That's
1: a really hard question. <laughs> that's a really hard a question big sigh. yeah, because you know it's so funny because I was there are just some works that i I hear them, and I think you know I know it's a voice that could not come from myself, but it's just so compelling, you know they're like the solo works of Bach I just find are just. Mm-hmm. So compelling, and I don't know if it's actually my writing style to create something like that, but it is something that I I long to express, and and I'm so happy that I'm able to. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like improvisation, it pushes me in my artistry in a different way, particularly when I'm improvising with other people. Um, something that I like to, a question that I like to ask when I enter a stage or a performance is what do we need right now? And the reason that I like to ask that, I'm asking that for myself, but also for the audience. And knowing that this experience is something that's unique to everyone who's present and will never be replicated mm-hmm. again. And I think to an extent you can get the same experience when you have pre-composed music for sure, when you really engage in the, in the artistry of a work and you you bring yourself to that uh, piece of music. But I find with live improvisation, when you really are asking that question, you're allowing yourself to make decisions in the moment. Uh, and that's the, the thing I find as an improviser is that in order for for me to continue to grow, I mean, because I've improvised so many times, I know there are things that I could play, you know, that sound nice. But I often try to force myself to say, well, what What is? What needs to come out in this moment? And that could be a beautiful sound. It could be a not so beautiful sound and actually holding space for all of those
0: things. Right. Yeah. Um, everything you say rings true. And mm-hmm. in, in my mind as a performer, in, this, in, in the sense that, uh, do you prefer, do you prefer, excuse me, do you prefer solo improv with the loop pedal? Or do you prefer improv with a group? Or?
1: I would say, and maybe it's the extrovert in me, whenever I get the opportunity to improvise with a, an ensemble, I love it. It's one of my favorite things in the world. And I think one of my, one of the reasons why I do love it so much is that you get to witness some, someone else's musical language. Because I do think that it's almost, I I think of improvisation, it's almost like when you go to the cottage and you run the water for the first time of the season, it kind of comes out a little green and, you know, something that you (laughs) don't want to, you don't want to (laughs) drink. Right? And and then you keep running the water and then it finally becomes clear. And that's how I would describe the experience for someone improvising for the first time. You know, you're finding your feet. You might not like what comes out, but you keep going. And then you start to craft a musical language. It's always different because your audience is always different. Your setting is always going to be different. And you yourself will change Mm -hmm. and evolve. But there is, I, I do believe that we all kind of have this musical language, if you will, that that compiles our experiences, artists, our own sense of virtuosity, and our own style. And so when I, ha- sure, mm-hmm. and so when I get the opportunity to improvise with the live group, I find that I'm inspired by my colleagues and their own musical voice and identity. And that's why I love it so that, much.
0: Yeah, that's exciting. So, I, uh, so is that your preference, or I would say so.
1: I would say that's my <laughs> preference. Uh, I do think that I I learn things about my own self when i improvise with the looper uh one thing i like to say that was kind of one of my raison d'etre's if you will about becoming kind of a loop pedal violist was one thing i wanted to do and and hope that i do in my work as a performer and composer is that i'm honoring the solo voice as the viola of the viola and Mm. so you know if you were to type in solo viola into google you're your computer might blow up with like viola jokes because it's not something that <laughs> <laughs> that uh, the viola is known for in terms of you know being a solo instrument. And I think in terms of science and the development of the instrument before it was kind of this projection issue that because of the the actual dimensions of the instrument, certain ranges of of the instrument had a hard time projecting in in orchestral or or, or thicker textures. Uh, now mm-hmm. with with modern mm. makers and technology, I think they've gotten around a lot of those things, but the viola still doesn't have the same identity as a solo instrument as as the violin or the cello does. And something that I love about the viola is that there's this middle range that has these beautiful colors in it. And I find when you amplify the instrument, you don't have to work so hard. Those colors just really shine through. And when I play with the looper, yeah, you can really hear those colors in a new and different way, and so that's so I think that's that's kind of another reason why I like to improvise with the looper. But if I had to choose between the two, I I love being able to collaborate with others.
0: Right now, you said you you, uh, you write uh, you write your own. I mean, well, obviously, there's a ton of stuff on your website. Um, do do you write? Now, is The Looper part of your writing process or is your improvisation with either solo or with ensembles part of the writing process for you?
1: Yeah, most definitely. Uh, I think I only have one work published without The Looper, and that's a piece that I wrote uh for solo violin and spoken words. So there's a poem that goes throughout, and that's called Oh, a Home- interesting. Mm-hmm. That's called A Home Called Wander. And a wonderful violist in Boston was able to premiere premiere that uh that piece. And and so that's the the one that I have that's not for Looper that's published at the moment. Uh the other pieces for for Looper, I don't know, I kind of have two approaches. Sometimes a piece of music will just come out whole and I'll kind of get this sense uh, you know what, I need to book a recording session, there's something inside that needs to come out. And sometimes it'll just come out whole. And I'm like, okay, there it was. And then there are some times when I'll be, you know, going throughout my day, and I'll get a melody stuck in my head. And I don't know if this is good or not. I often, a lot of people will say, if you have something, you should record it right away. I often don't. I often see if it comes back. And I find if the melody continues to persist, then I think, okay, this is something that needs to be heard. This is a voice that needs to come out. And then I'll, I'll start to play with it a little bit. And I might turn on my looper and, and just kind of play with, with the, the melody that I'm hearing and see what accompanies it. So I kind of have two different types of processes, if you will. Okay.
0: So, so in that, in that second scenario you just outlined, where do these tunes come from? Is it, are they accidents or?
1: You know A what? deep
0: seated from your soul cracking through somehow. I,
1: I don't know. Maybe the latter. I think it's, <laughs> it's so interesting because as sometimes we, you think about, you know, how, how you are as children and, and how that affects what we do as adults. And it's funny when I look, back at myself as a young child like if you were to ask me you know as a teenager or in university if i ever thought about composing i would have been like no way like that was something that was just foreign to me but actually as a young Mm -hmm. child i used to hear music all the time like i used to think up music in my head all the time and it was only in um after i started to compose that i actually remembered those moments so honestly the melodies they'll just come when i'm washing the dishes it can be sometimes when i'm practicing but they'll they'll come at any time if that makes sense
0: that, that that's marvelous i wish I, i'm envious quite frankly <laughs> <laughs> of anything that comes just just plops yeah. out of my my <laughs> <laughs> um why the viola of all instruments? I mean, you may you've already touched on it a little bit, and I, I had to, I have to ask why that instrument versus something else?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so there's a bit of a story that goes along with this one, and so I actually started on the violin, as many violists do. Uh, the rule in my house was everyone needed to play an instrument, and so before the violin, I actually started on the piano. But my five year old brain couldn't process, you know, doing one thing with one hand and then doing one with another thing with the other. Uh, so I kind of threw a bit of a, a hissy fit, if you will. And my dad said, you know, do you want to play the violin? And I didn't even know what a violin was, but I thought, you know what, let's let's go for it. Let's try it. <laughs> and uh, I continued on actually until halfway through my undergrad degree. And I had gone out to Colorado with uh, some of my, my friends from school. We were doing a music program and I was at a concert in Colorado and there was a string quartet called the Taka string quartet, uh, performing. And at the time, the violist who was, who's the violist in the ensemble, her name is Geraldine Walther or, or Jerry. And she was also the uh principal violist of the LA F- Phil at the time. And I wow. remember there was just a, it was a Benjamin Britten piece they were playing and there was just a viola solo that just came out and oh my goodness, I just felt so compelled by it. And, um, and then after the concert, I went up to her and I just said, Oh my goodness. Like, I love the concert and I love your sound. I, she is the most beautiful sound. And then she just looked at me and said, Well, maybe you'll play the viola one day. And, uh, the next summer I went to that camp and I had decided to switch to the viola. Um, yeah, it was a bit of, it was a hard decision because there was a, a viola professor who was at my university who had left and who was coming back and who I, I really wanted to study viola with her. Um, but it was kind of this, weird serendipitous moment that the the next summer, that same time that I had chosen to, uh, to switch. And so that kind of, so the rest of my degree from my undergrad, I finished on a viola and then went on to do a master's, uh, and viola performance on the viola as well.
0: So so it was, it wasn't, uh, it's just a gut reaction to the sound. Yeah. Essentially. And you know, boil it down a little bit.
1: It was. And you know what? It's kind of funny because I almost feel like it was a sound that was kind of chasing me. This sounds kind of weird, but I, I, I feel like it was a sound that was chasing me my whole life. Uh, my, my teacher growing up, who I studied with for probably eight to 10 years was actually the principal violist of the, the Windsor Symphony where I grew up. And my goodness, the most amazing sound. And so I had grown up with hearing this, this, this sound, but it wasn't until that moment. Where I felt like it was it was time to fully to fully switch and so yeah I think it was a bit of a journey but that was kind of the the breaking point
0: if you will interesting that it, just kind of sitting there in the background all all this time
1: yeah yeah
0: interesting very interesting uh I, I I'm I'm stunned by your process I mean you you you're trying to describe it to me <laughs> and, and stunned in the right way let okay me, me <laughs> I'm not uh, what no um i'm absolutely enthralled by hearing you talk about your process um is i think what i'm curious to know is is this all entirely your process are you i mean like how you uh, i have got so many questions i'm sorry if i stutter no
1: that's okay this um, is great
0: um and again bringing this technology this looping technology to this to this ancient instrument um, and again, your process on it is it something that you have invented for yourself? I mean, yeah, like you said, the looper' has been applied to probably almost every instrument or m- melodic yeah. instrument uh but for you for you, is this just your process, your journey vers or have you collected bits and pieces from other people in terms of doing this or like, how did you come up with a lot of this or is it just experience?
1: Hmm, that's a really good question. I mean, I think that like we all are kind of the the products of our our community and our our surroundings and then and I feel really privileged to be able to have worked with so many amazing musicians and I hope that I've, I've gleaned things from that. And I think particularly in the area of of improvisation, I've had so many amazing colleagues that I've been able to, to perform with it and to play off of Uh, in terms of my style of composing for the loop pedal. uh, That was something that I, you know, that was kind of my own journey. It wasn't something that I had, had sought training from someone else. And I, the, the way I kind of had, treated for composing and performing for the loop pedal with viola was I I told myself, okay, I'm just going to practice in front of people. And it did take a long time to get the courage. I, I had one show. It was actually like a kids concert that I had composed music for. And I thought, you know, it's a kids concert. This will be a good, easy, soft way of kind of getting into things. And then I had finally gotten to the point, a friend of mine who had a, a recording studio where I was going to record, you know, my first set of pieces. Uh, but then after that, as I continued to, to, especially particularly during that pandemic, Um, I wanted to continue to record and I treated that process as, okay, you know what? I may not love a hundred percent, like I, this might not be the the best work that I ever do, but I'm actually just going to keep doing it and hope that I grow from that journey. And so it's so funny as I go back and listen to my, my earlier EPs, you know, it's so like, I still love. Many of the, like those melodies, but it, it's so interesting to hear the trajectory and how some things have stayed the same and some things have evolved. And I feel like it's all, there are some cyclical things in my, in my composing practice as well. But it really was this idea of I'm going to practice in front of people and I'm just going to release my music to whoever would like to listen and, and showcase my journey that way.
0: You're a brave soul, <laughs> quite frankly. I'm going to learn this in public. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Most of us actors wouldn't do that. (laughs) So I think that uh, first of all, it's admirable, but it's also interesting that if you want to learn something, uh, you know, do it for somebody else. Yeah. I mean, I'm a teacher. So if I don't know what I have to teach, I learn fast. Right. Yeah. uh, You know what I got to teach. So it sounds like the same kind of thing. Like, but you're forcing yourself to do it, which I think is the cool part.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think
0: it's the very cool part.
1: Oh, thank you. And I think that that has always really served me well as a musician is that I find, and, and maybe other people find this too. It's like you always, when you've got a gig on the books, you always practice harder, right? Yeah. You know, if you don't have anything <laughs> right. for months, then it, you, you still want to practice for your, for your own self and development. Um, but the same thing with, you know, being able to play with the, with the looper, with my viola, I just knew that if I, I had, you know, set out to do this, that I, that I had told people about it, that gave myself some outside accountability. And it, it also,
0: okay yeah mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. and it helped me to not be too precious with my work, if you will. I always want to be able to put out things that I'm proud of. And you know, that I, that I'm I'm happy and, and proud to share with other people, but it also helped. I find, and I'm not sure if this is a classical musician thing or just a, you know, people who, who have this kind of, uh, zeroed, zeroed in mindset, but I feel like it's so easy to pick at things and to say, well, I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do that. And then three weeks later, and then the music's still not released. Whereas I find for myself, the thing that I've done is I, I've, you know, given myself a certain amount of time. I used to give myself a month to, to, uh, to put out an EP. And then after, when that time came, it was like, okay, it's time, it's time to release the music. And I find found that very freeing because I feel like it, it helped me to get more comfortable with my sound and just to get, and to trust myself a bit more.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like it's a, uh, forces you to trust what you're doing mm-hmm. a little bit. I also, that's also an interesting idea in the sense that, um, you're not so rigid with what you're doing yeah you know there's no such thing as perfect mm-hmm. you know but uh, and i but i think i also uh am astounded by you because your your confidence level with your your instrument has never come into play in terms of this conversation so you know what you're doing but you can have the confidence to put out oh, it's not the best thing but you know it's nice enough <laughs> you know a lot of us can't do that which I think is interesting. Which I think is lovely, quite frankly.
1: Well, I, I'm glad you you see it as confidence. I don't know if I I always feel that way. Um, I think it is, <laughs> you know, when I when I'm on the other side, I used to be so afraid of the red button. You know, when I would press my recorder and and maybe mm. it's a different button for other people, for me, it's like the it goes red, and I I would have like a a freeze moment, and I think being able to to just force myself to record has really gotten me past that. Um, and I, I think that when we think about deciding if something is, is ready to go out and record, I think we always want to put out things that we're proud of. Um, but at the same time, we also want to think at the end of the day, what is the goal and the objective? And I had a, a viola teacher, uh, Renny Regeer, an amazing violist in my, in my master's degree. And he used to say to us, you know, every time you put this instrument up to play, you have to figure out how to make the world a better place. And I think about that in my own art, art in terms of, you know, if my music truly is a gift, then that's the focus. You know, it's not on me and my own insecurities. It's about what am I giving to the people who are listening? And I find if that's the focus, it's much easier to be able to go through the process.
0: That's beautiful, beautifully stated. Uh, yeah. My my um, my wife is a uh, she's a she teaches music and art to oh. uh, K through third. Oh, it's not uh, and fun. She paints and she's a, yeah, uh, but she's uh, she describes it in the same sort of way as that all of her original artwork somewhere there's a story that she's trying to tell. Yes, yeah. And it sounds like you're saying the same kind of thing. There's not – yes, I can be a solo artist. Yes, I can be a solo composer. But ultimately, an artist needs an audience. And I think the, what, what you just said, you know, you're basically embracing your audience as part of the process. Yes. Oh. Which I think is vital mm. to – especially as performing artists, you know.
1: Oh, that was, I love how you said that. And I think that that is something that is, is missing in a lot of artistic practices today. You know, embracing the audience as part of the process, turning that I to mm -hmm. a we and having that co-collaboration. Because, you know, when we think about it, we were all at home for, for many months. And, and now Mm -hmm. (laughs) we've, we've kind of seen a, a resurgence of, of live music and, and going to art galleries and different arts events. You know, I think that at least for me, I found my, that the pandemic gave me time to be much more retrospective about how I spend my time and also how I want to make an impact. And so when we think about bringing our art form to the table, whether that's a concert, whether that's a, a visual art piece or a theater, you know, what are we inviting people to, to leave their houses for? You know, is it is right. it for me to show off what I can do, or Are we inviting them to an experience that will be transformative?
0: And yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think you just said it right there. <laughs> I think you just. Um, now, going back to your uh, improvisational performances, how much of that audience interaction is part of what happens uh, through I, the viola?
1: I love that question, and to be honest. It, it depends on how brave I am in the moment and how brave I suspect my audience is. Uh, I oftentimes when I describe my performances, I like to think of them as, as interactive. Uh, and that can change depending on the setting. I do a lot of work in terms of doing concerts in school so that is a little bit easier i find that there are a lot of kids okay. and students that are are much more you know willing to to be interactive uh but i've also been known you know in in concerts for different concert series to invite the audience to co-create with me and with the looper it's kind of interesting i can do that where i'll play a melody i'll play two, two different melodies and then i'll get the the audience to choose I'll get them to clap along and to do rhythms. I've even invited the audience to sing with me, which has been, which has been beautiful. Like those are my moment were the moments where I just love that co collaboration. So I think in terms of the the improvisation and the collaboration, it all depends on how brave I feel. And also, (laughs) you know, how, how I feel like it's going to be received also too.
0: Well, just uh, how brave. I mean, if you're inviting people to sing with you on a, (laughs) just, Hey, come on up. That's okay. You're brave beyond words. <laughs> but I think, uh, but I like that you're so trusting that your audience is going, is walking with you on this journey. Mm. I, you know, and I, and it sounds like you've been very successful to do that. If those are the results you're getting.
1: Oh, thank you. And I, you know, it's so interesting because I don't know if we talk enough about trust in the arts. Because to be a performer, we there is so much trust needed, you know, trust. And I think that's part of it in terms of being willing to get to the point where you can press record, when you can press that release button, when you can book that next concert it really isn't in in most cases. I mean, there are some cases that's like, well, if you feel unprepared or if you haven't learned something, then then perhaps, you know, you need to take more time in the practice room or, or learning your lines or what have you, depending on your art form. But at the end of the day, you know, if we've done the work where we feel proud of our art form, the biggest barrier is trust. And if we can get past that and to be able to say that I trust myself in the moment that I have something to say, that I have a gift to bring mm-hmm. to the audience, that I feel comfortable even invite inviting them into that so they can also feel that transformation as well. Uh, I feel like that's something that, you know, I, I hope will be talked about more in, in university degree uh, programs and, and in upcoming artists is this idea of trust in oneself, but also trust in this process of creation.
0: Oh, I have, well, I'm going to start, Adding that to my classes, (laughs) the idea of, I mean, you know, because I teach, like I said, I teach theater, Mm -hmm. but not only just trusting yourself and your own abilities, but trusting the audience to, you know, I think the audience, and let me see if you agree with this, in my experience, as as hard as I am on myself to do something, uh, the audience is generally there and are very forgiving and, are you know, they want a good experience. So they're willing to allow you to be, I won't say sloppy. That's not the right word. But they're willing to forgive, you know, even if, even if I mess up a line, if I can get past it and keep working, mm-hmm. they'll forgive that as long as the story is still being told. Does that make sense to you? And would you agree with that? Or
1: Oh, 100%. You know, I think part of, and maybe this is something that, you know, we need to see more, more of is that when we talk about artistic integrity in bringing, you know, our best performance, our best selves to the role that we're playing or the the performance that we're doing, I think at the same time, we need to pair that with vulnerability. We need to be vulnerable enough to mm-hmm. say that at the end of the day, like, especially I find with classically trained musicians, we have to remind ourselves that we are not robots. You know, and that people don't expect us to do that. And, and I often, and this is the funny thing, and I don't know if you find this in your practice as well, but for me, it's like, you know, if there's a note that like the, it's slightly out of tune, it's like you feel like that note was sounding for a whole five minutes, you know? Whereas literally it was half a second. And I think that, like you say, that if we can come back strong from that now, I always hope to say, OK, well, why did that happen and, and try to get curious about why that happened on stage if it didn't happen in the practice room and to right. be able to, to go through that process. But like you say, they want, I think, especially in this time more than ever, we want authentic and vulnerable performances. We do not want perfection. Right. I think,
0: yeah. I, I, I... Especially that moment, that one tiny, tiny half a note that's yeah. off somewhere. You know, it, it's such a, a nanosecond in the world, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll obsess over it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the artists that we are, but the audience, they're not there. That's not why they're there. They're not there to catch mistakes. Yeah. You know, and I, uh, and it's the idea that they are there. And I think we are there as performers too, to enjoy that company of each other, mm-hmm. you know, of the artist of the performer and the audience. Yeah, you know the audience is there to be part of something magnificent and we're there to be part of something magnificent mm-hmm. and it not doesn't matter who's doing what part but as long as you know we all kind of meet in that little tiny space of time and light and energy you know
1: oh I love that's that that's the whole
0: point I think
1: yeah oh I love that
0: yeah mm-hmm and oh sorry yeah it's interesting no I'm gonna say it's interesting because I talk I'm talking to a lot of artists uh, especially ones with, you know, a lot of, um, live audience, you know, even in painters and, uh, fine artists, they, everybody talks about the audience kind of the same way. Mm. As long as there's some way we meet in the middle mm-hmm. and there's a tiny little dot of, you know, existence where we can be there together and enjoy it. You know, that's kind of the whole thing.
1: Yes. Yeah. For everybody. And that's the other thing. So, I think along with trust, the thing that we need more of, we also it's like, well, how do we silence the ego, you know, because in, in the moment when I am thinking about that one note and I'm like, oh, was it, I didn't I didn't land that shift exactly how I wanted. I'm no longer thinking about the audience. I'm thinking about me, you know, and uh mm-hmm. my my teacher who I studied with in my master's, he used to say that, you know, playing the viola is a lot. It's a lot like flying a plane. And it's like, you're, you're thinking about all the things that you have to do, but you're not actually, you're not thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about the ego you're, you're looking at, well, what is the gift that I'm bringing in this moment? And we're right. staying present in that. And so I think both trust, being able to stay present and just being able to like, kind of let go of ourselves a little bit and that ego and being present for that. And, and that can really help us to focus on that. We, that you were referring to.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that goes back to the idea of being a performer versus an actor. A performer allows themselves to be loose and, you know, it's, especially with, again, back to improv. You know, if you don't have anything specifically in mind, it's all going to be great. <laughs> it all has the potential to be brilliant. So anyway, I, yeah, I love your attitude and I love that idea of trust and, uh, presence and making sure the audience has what they want or giving them what they want. Yeah. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, I could end it there, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have, uh, I'm going to kind of shift things, uh, shift the di- direction a little bit. Uh, you have a very unique, at, at least in terms of the recordings that I've heard. Okay. And I guarantee it. I haven't heard all of them on your website, oh, but I've okay. sent through a great number of them. Uh, but there's always the, how would you describe your style? Your, I mean, I, you, you can't pigeonhole you. I'll give you that.
1: Yeah. And you know what? That has been the hardest question for me to answer. And if I'm completely honest, I think I'm waiting for someone to tell me what it is <laughs> because I don't know if it really fits in one box. Like I think, you know, some people say oh is it ambient and I think oh yeah there's definitely notes of that. Um but then I'm also like I love the music of of Brahms and I love like romantic and 20th century music and so you know sometimes I I, I try to mimic that in my style as well. So I I don't I don't I don't know if I know the answer to that. <laughs>
0: um I th- that might be the best answer however. Okay. <laughs> you know, as if you don't have- <laughs> This is just me being a, you know, Artsy fartsy old man. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need a style? Mm-hmm. I because I, I listen to it and like like I said, I can't pinpoint a specific influence, but I can hear millions of influences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and um, some of them sound like uh, movie landscapes. Mm-hmm. Some of them sound just like um, emotional, just kind of musings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does this make sense? You know, but but to say it's jazz or something else or, you know. Uh,
1: yeah, no, that. What have you. That, is, that really resonates with me because oftentimes, um, you know, if music, if it doesn't come out whole, and even when it does, I often feel like the title of the, the piece or the suite that I'm writing comes quite quickly because it is kind of based off of, you know, a scene, almost like you would have in a a movie, or it's based off of a certain emotion. And so I think that's why you might be feeling some of that. So that definitely resonates with me.
0: Right. But I was just curious to know if you work from a specific style. But I think uh, your answer is much more satisfying
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: than knowing.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know, I I don't think I do, and I'm hoping that as I continue, you know, to practice in front of people and to be able to share my own artistic journey, I know that my style will change and evolve, uh, and mm-hmm. and it is it is tricky because I think that that's something that we often do think of as performers and composers. You know, if you have if you are in a certain style or in a box people know, they know what to expect from you. You know, if you, if you play music that has more of a jazz feel, they will be like, okay, I know what to expect from this person. And, and you might attract certain people because of that, that kind of identity. Uh, but because I've, I'm not really sure where, where I fit, I think it is kind of a catch all sometimes. So it know-
0: is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, like even some of them sound just so very stream of conscience. Mm. conscience. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. which
0: i i enjoy i enjoy oh thank you everything I've heard so far, so yeah, uh just curious to know if uh it came from anywhere special, or if you are you inventing your own style
1: <laughs> well i I might be <laughs> who knows who knows uh I think that in my work as a as a performer, as a composer, and as an educator, as I do those interactive concerts in schools, uh, one thing, uh, a teaching artist and a someone who, who's really big in kind of the teaching artist field, Eric Booth, he would talk about, you know, art is making things that you care about. And I hope that I can be a catalyst for that in many ways. And some of those, emotional musing, something that I love when I do a concert is when people come up to me and they're like, when when I was playing this piece, I was thinking of this memory. I was thinking of this image. And oftentimes Mm. it's very different depending on the person. And I hope to be able to encourage that in people that they have their kind of their own, that my music serves as a catalyst for their own creativity and imagination, if you will.
0: Again, going back to inviting the audience into your improv. Mm-hmm. you know and just you know letting them be part of it that's uh we can't get out of that theme for some reason <laughs> so um oh okay first of all you're enchanting you, this whole interview has been just lovely and lovely to meet you i've got a few more questions that, uh kind of my end of the interview uh james lipton kind of stuff okay number one what is it about your art that turns you on
1: Ah, it's going to sound very simple and maybe cheesy, but I just love the sound of the viola. Like I just, I think it's just such a beautiful sound and I feel like it's underrated compared to the other string instruments. I know everyone's in love with the jello, but I just, I love the sound of the viola and the different colors that you can find. So I think that's something that I continue uh, to be inspired by.
0: Do you dare want to try to describe the difference between a viola and a cello and or violin, or just want to leave it at that.
1: Hmm.
0: Or is that for another podcast?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It might be for another podcast. If I could sum it up simply, I feel like the, this might sound a bit cheesy, but I feel like the viola is always considered the, the, the middle voice or the inner voice. And so I often feel like composers will use it when they they're wanting to express something that is a little bit more sorrowful or perhaps a little bit more um that has has a really strong and vast character palette and so i think that's one of the strengths of the instrument. i also think that because it's such a mellow sound it's very inviting to people um, Interesting. With the viola and the cello, they, they have their bigger. well, the cello is a bigger instrument, so it has a very, it has a lower sound, which is beautiful, and a really strong production, but it's a very present sound, and I would say the same about the violin, and you can have presence with the viola, but I, it's one of those things where I just feel like the the solemnness and the mellow colors, color palette of the instrument is very inviting, and so I think that's where I really, uh, I really enjoy it, and kind of think that it's a bit different from the other, uh, the other instruments in the string
0: family. Interesting. I love how you describe your music using terms from every known art form. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this color and emotion and character. Uh, love that. Uh, what about your art turns you off?
1: Oh my art turns me <laughs> off. That's a good question. Uh you know what? I think it's there are some days where I might be playing with my viola in my looper where I'm kind of like, I don't know if I like this. <laughs> but you know what? I, I choose to record it anyways. And actually well, I keep a sound journal. And so I'm always recording music, even if I don't decide to put it out. And so there are days when I feel like the thing that the, the the instrument wants to say might not be the thing that I want to say, but I just trust, I continue to trust the process. And then, you know, the next session, then we see how it goes. So I think that's kind of what might turn me off, if that makes sense.
0: Is it a turn off or more of just a frustration?
1: Maybe, maybe a frustration, actually, maybe a frustration.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Um, is there any other art form that you have not tried that you think you might like to? Uh,
1: I don't know if I, it's, I don't know if it's some one that I would, will ever do something that I love. I've done in collaborations is I love collaborating with dancers and that's an art form. My, my as my, myself, I'm, I'm not a dancer. And I think that could be interesting to try that though. I don't know if I have like the, the, the vulnerability to do that, <laughs> but I, uh, but in another in another lifetime, perhaps that is something that I would want to try.
0: Is there any art form that you know you would never want to try?
1: Oh, um, <laughs> I don't know if I would want to be a bagpiper. I have a lot of respect for the bagpipes, <laughs> but I think that's one that I'll, I'll leave leave to the professionals. So,
0: why on earth not? <laughs> You know, it's just uh, just out of curiosity. I...
1: <laughs> there's a lot of lung power that goes into that, and uh, and uh, you know what? I feel like the bagpipes they can be quite beautiful, I, but I think that there's something about it that I don't know. It doesn't might not resonate with me as much. So I think I'll I'll leave that to to I'm, those who you're, dabble. <laughs> you're
0: talking about these the, these lovely human sounds coming out of a viola, <laughs> I can imagine. Bagpipe, not quite so much. A
1: little different. A little different.
0: (laughs) A little bit of yeah. Um, why did why do you participate in art? Not just music, but in art in general. Why? I mean, why do you participate?
1: You know, I'm not sure if I will know the answer to that question until the end of my journey, because I feel like it's something that I've always engaged in and I've taken one step in front of the other, and it's led me to a lot of really interesting places. And I don't know what really compelled that. Maybe it was life circumstance, maybe, you know, maybe it was just uh, I had an inclination for it as a, as a child, and my parents allowed me to continue. But I think that's something that I, I hope to be able to kind of look back at the journey to be able to kind of see what were the the points along the way? So I'm not actually sure if that makes sense.
0: Okay. That's fair. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. One last question. Where can we see and or hear some of your art?
1: Okay. So if you want to check out my art, the best place is at my Bandcamp site. So Bandcamp slash Catherine Patricia. I also have some videos on YouTube as well. Uh, So if you wanted to subscribe at Catherine Patricia Cobbler, and uh, if you're on Instagram, I'm at Catherine Patricia Violist there, and on Facebook, I'm at KP Violist.
0: KP Yes. And may I put these links in the?
1: Yes, you can in the, the
0: descriptors. Them.
1: Yes, and if okay. you're just you know interested about my journey and want to kind of experience more, you can check out my website at CatherinePatricia dot com.
0: Fantastic, uh, Catherine. This has been. Exquisite. I love this kind of conversation. I love delving into uh, philosophy and process and the heart and soul of the artist. So you've been a delight. Thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, spending the afternoon with me. So I appreciate it to no end.
1: Oh, thank you. And likewise, this has been such a great conversation. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for hanging around and geeking out with us. If you enjoyed the show, hit the like and subscribe buttons. And more importantly, join the conversation and leave us a message or comment. We'd love to hear about your nerdy art. Thanks again, and join us next week for more Art Nerds.